0: Leonard here, and I know we all have a couple daily lists. You know what they are, the have-to-do list and the choose-to-do list. To make my daily choose-to-do list, you have to be special, and Papa's Roast Coffee is truly that special. That's why Papa's Roast Coffee is a regular choice of mine and so many others. Papa's Roast owners, Dean and Debbie Chris, take special care to provide a perfect roast on every bean. Sourced from a single origin, the coffee beans are roasted to perfection in small batches. And then, if that were not enough, the beans are packaged and shipped in an eco-friendly bag. Papa's Roast Coffee, from start to finish, has earned a place on my everyday choose-to-do list. And I think they will on yours, too. Get your Papa's Roast Coffee at papasroast.com today. Now, to our conversation. Hey, welcome to Say Yes and Become. I'm your host, Leonard Lee, and I am really, really excited today to have our guest. Uh, We've actually never been in the same room at the same time, but we've been in the same room at different times uh, as we have served some of the same people. And uh, uh, Joe, welcome to our show today. And I am going to let you pronounce your last name because uh, if I say it wrong, then (laughs) I look bad. If you say it wrong, you look worse, okay? (laughs) Okay. So welcome today, Joe. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Yeah, my last name is Milioni.
0: All right, got it. Millioni. All right. I I would have probably skipped the the Millie. I was Miloni. So I got it. I'm so glad. Thanks for bailing me out and not making me look bad. Hey, I'm really happy you are here today with us. And um, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself. Tell us whatever you want, what you think is most relevant. And if I think you skipped something, I'll come back to it.
1: All <laughs> right. So go ahead and
0: just tell us about yourself, Joe.
1: Yeah, I'm Joe Miglione. I'm currently the Senior Training Director at the Center for Intercultural Training, which is a uh, training center uh, that is designed for uh, helping uh, missionaries that are either heading out or returning from the field uh, to be prepared and to help them with transitions and and anything to do with with training of missionaries. And uh, I came into that position after uh, around between 20 and 25 years uh serving myself as a missionary uh in Latin America for about 20 years and then to the Middle East for a few years. Oh, and wow. uh,
0: that's a great legacy of service. So, are you married and got a family? Tell us about that real quick.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm married. I have three adult children, all married and uh two recently two grandkids that have uh come along in the last 5 months. So, I've got a I've got a um Two month, about a two month old uh, granddaughter and a four month old grandson. So uh, that's that's an exciting time of life.
0: Yeah, it is. That's remarkable. I've seen uh, a couple photos through uh, social media of you uh, holding those grandbabies, and uh, it looks pretty good on you. It looks pretty <laughs> natural. I appreciate. I can appreciate that. Yeah, I was just uh, telling
1: my daughters today that they get their good looks from me. So
0: well, goes without saying. <laughs> So, which is why they don't say it, right?
1: That's
0: right. <laughs> so, I I have a face for radio. That's what people tell me. Um, Joe, our podcast is called "Say Yes and Become," and it comes from the premise that uh, every good thing in our lives comes out of saying yes to God. Specific invitations: Would you come be my friend? And would you come be my partner? Uh, we summarize that in a great commission, a great commandment: Love God, be friends love others be partners and there's so many other ways throughout scripture where that that invitation is expressed um and so my first question i always ask is this when you what are some significant yeses that you have said to god along the way that you think man those shaped my life those shaped other people's lives feel free to just uh, ad lib don't make it up <laughs> but ad lib all right
1: <laughs> yeah i would i would say the you know, the first one that kind of set the tone for my life was—you know—I was—I was pretty young. I grew up in a very strong Christian family, great, great parents that really set an example. And when I was in um, children's church, I—I I, uh, uh, my teacher really talked a lot about missions, and I really felt God. One day, I was—I was only about eight years old. I really felt God saying, "This is what I have for you. I want you to be a missionary." And I had no idea what that meant. You know, I I'd heard the stories, and for me, they were all these you know fantastic stories of swimming with piranhas and jungles <laughs> of Africa and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, man, I can't live up to that. But well, if you know God, if this is what you have for me, then 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 I'm going to do it. And really, that the rest of my life, you know, even you know, as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, it was all in process of gearing myself towards uh, future missions, You know, it even. It, it, it meant who I was who you know the girl I fell in love with had to be interested in missions and so we got married and and uh, so it, it really marked the rest of my life and uh, there are several times you know after after uh, could beginning that service I can think of several times that um, saying yes to God really changed or, or um, expanded the direction of what we were doing and um, for example we started off uh, working in a very secular country of in Latin America called Uruguay. Mm-hmm. And um, started to see some success there. We started doing a developing a church planner training. and then all of a sudden, I got a, a call from a, a Colombian that I had known and wanted me to uh, come to a training in an area called Sincelejo, Colombia. Well, this would have been about twenty years ago, back when the paramilitary and the guerrillas were at at war, and and so I said, oh, let me you know, let me pray about it and see what God what God wants, and and you know, also doing a little bit of research, found out that that was like where he wanted me to go was the center of all that. I talked to a Colombian friend. He said, oh no, you don't want to do that. Don't don't even think about going there. There's no North Americans there. You go there, you will be kidnapped or killed. Mm. and and so you know talking with my wife and we we prayed about it and we really felt god was saying yes this is this is something i want you to do yeah and uh and so you know we did or i did you know and uh it was kind of funny because it it kind of it's an interesting story because um i was supposed to land in a uh I was to get to Sensilejo. I had to fly to a city called Monteria and take what's called a collective taxi from Monteria to Sensilejo. And uh, when I landed, there was only one other passenger going to Sensilejo. So the collective taxi said, nope, not going to do it, and took off. And so I'm stranded in this airport. What do I do? So the other passenger flags down a car. We don't know who the driver is. He just happened to have a Senselejo license plate. And he said, are you heading, heading back? He said, yeah. I said, we'll pay you the taxi if you'll take us. And so we go and get about halfway and the car just pulls over. He turns around and looks at me and says, get out, like urgently, get out now. And so, you know, I'm like, what? And he says, get out now. And so I get out of the car and uh, he flags down a motorcycle. And he says, get on. And. I get on the motorcycle and he tells the motorcycle driver, take off your helmet, put it on him. And so he did. And then the car takes off all my stuff, my computer, my luggage, everything, you know, everything I brought takes off going down the road. And I'm on the back of this motorcycle going a different direction. And, you know, my first thought is, I wonder if my wife's going to pay the ransom. Yeah. My second thought is, if I survive this, this is going to make an awesome newsletter Yeah, <laughs> about i don't know 15 20 minutes later uh we we come back to the main road on the back you know on the back of this motorcycle and there's the car sitting along the side of the road waiting for us and i get in and then i find out what's going on somehow he knew i don't know if it was coming or what somehow he knew that the paramilitary had set up a blockade on that road and that if i had stayed in that car i was done and so he was protecting me and he told the motorcycle driver to put a helmet on my head so that nobody saw i was this blonde guy you know <laughs> i had more hair than for those that i mean you can't see in video in the audio but anyway <laughs> actually get to uh since and my contact there that was supposed to receive me looked at me and goes oh thank goodness you know we didn't expect you to make it <laughs> like <laughs> yeah and, well, what was neat about that was there were, I mean, literally, if you walked in the plaza, there were people missing arms and legs. Everybody I met had had somebody in their family kidnapped or, you yeah. know, ransomed. Um, pastors had, you know, there were churches that had pastors that were killed because they wouldn't side with one, one thing or the other. But there were a hundred Colombian church planners that mm. said, this is the answer we need. And, and one came up to me and goes, I'm going to plant a church at the gate of the paramilitary camp. Mm-hmm. And so when I found out um, several months, a year later or so, that they that that group that we trained in church planning went out and started 100 cell churches, yeah. 100 cell groups. And that area today is safe. You can go, you can stay, you can. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly safe. And the government takes credit for it. But I'd like to think God used a hundred church planners to transform that area.
0: Well, for sure, for sure, that is uh, that is a much more common story than it sounds for us who uh, who have lived in the United States our whole life. Uh, and so, what adventures, uh, uh, what God sized adventures, you have experienced by saying yes to invitations that uh, maybe. Maybe nobody else in the world would have said yes to, and uh, and um, the uh, I was just in West Africa. I never say the country out loud because, um, uh, but I was just in West Africa. I got home last night actually, and we were training a group of pastors, and we we were doing training in uh, reproduction, disciples who make disciples,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, as we're doing it, the pastors are just filled with optimism, hope, and joy, man, this is going to be so great, and what's going to happen when our people begin to multiply, and we start equipping our people to be disciple makers, and then almost instantly, the whole room gathered The that, oh, wait, this is going to cost us a lot of us our lives, you know, this is, this. it's a surreal moment when they realize it, then they they voiced it, And uh, so I think that there's just a lot of places that um, you have seen firsthand. uh, Others have seen firsthand. We read about them in magazines or newsletters, but they're really happening where people uh, are living lives that end in a cross. So thank you for your ministry and your service there. Any other
1: yeses you want to tell us about
0: before I begin to ask you a million other questions?
1: I've got, I probably could fill your whole time with the, with the things that, you know, where God really marked you know, that those times. And you know what what that what happened because of what happened in Colombia, that really opened the door towards church planning all over Latin America. And we began, you know, if I had not said yes to it, I would have well, you yeah, know I had I, a fruitful ministry going in Uruguay, but it would not have been, you know, the what um God's idea of going beyond what I could have even imagine. Yeah. That's yeah, one of my favorite verses in Ephesians 320. And uh, so that opened the door, and that led to me to becoming the area director, which led me to begin working in in Cuba. And again, many small yeses along the way of of things that appear inconvenient or um, not so much dangerous, but just not not what the average Joe would say would say yes to, and and just see watching God work. You know, we've always taken a facilitative approach to missions where we work through the national rather than coming in and dictating what we do. Right. And, and just it, it would, it's been incredible sitting on this roller coaster that God is directing. Mm. And um, I most two more recent ones would be when I went to, you know, said yes to leave Latin America, despite knowing Spanish, despite working there for 20 years, uh, felt God um, leading me to the Middle East. And I remember the day I, I, I just, I started working with a group that was designing some training. I helped them design some training for working among that, you know, people group there. And, uh, and I, I remember thinking, man, God, this, you want me to go to the middle East? My, my wife's going to think I'm nuts. <laughs> and I thought, okay. And I thought, well, you know, I get home from, from a, a conference I'd been at. And I say, and I tell ladere I say, ladere um, uh, I really think God's leading me to the Middle East, and she looks up at me and goes, "Me too." <laughs> and she had had a friend who was, you know, she'd been working with that had that was a Latin American missionary, yeah. in, the, in the region, and and had really been convicted about it. And she didn't really want to talk to me about it because she thought she was nuts. And next, so next thing you know, we're we're in in the Middle East for a while, mm. which was interesting because I would not say we had a lot of. Um, fruit as far as disciple making there, you know, very few do, but that was a time God used to, to do so an incredible work in my daughter Hmm. who went with us. And I I still look back at that and saying, you know, the, the, the years we were there were all about her. I mean, she, she just flourished with God and started her own little ministry and did all kinds of things. And, and, you know, I think it was all about her. Yeah. And uh, then one other was, would be in, in 2020, uh, in January of 2020, right before everybody else was about to get hit by this pandemic, I got diagnosed with an incurable form of cancer Hmm. and really had to, again, you know, looking back and ask what, you know, is it worth it? Is all this worth it? And then I realized that's the wrong question. The question, the better question is, is he worthy? Yeah. And, Again, I had to say yes to God because he is worthy no matter what. And so I had to say, okay, God, whatever path you have for me from this point, I'm doing it, you know, whether if it means if it means dying young, I'm okay with that as long as I as long as I can glorify him in in uh, in that process. And I was actually originally given one year to live. And so I'm already two years. I'm already in two years of bonus time. So, right, right. (laughs)
0: Well, I know I, uh, I, uh, I think we spoke on the phone one time in the past few years since our, our paths crossed over Cuba. And, uh, I follow along with you and, uh, through our, our mutual friends, but I did hear about when, uh, you were diagnosed with cancer and, uh, my, uh, we've been praying for you ever since and your family and such. And I keep rejoicing with you. Um, I think recently, uh, you said something in writing, um, just about uh, you're gonna make the most of all the bonus time you have, yeah. uh, and I so appreciate and respect that greatly. Um, going backwards to the uh, move to the Middle East, um, there is a cultural affinity between the Middle East and La- South America, absolutely, um, you know, because of the way the the Islam pushed through Spain, the Iberian Peninsula, through Portugal and all that. And that transferred over to Latin America. And uh, and there are about 6,000 words in common between Spanish and Arabic, I hear. Yes. Um, and uh, so that makes sense. And, uh, and so that God took you there uh, just because he loves your daughter so much. What an amazing, what an amazing thing our father does, isn't it? absolutely. You know, uh, and, and I know there's fruit, you know, we, we, we pull weeds and plant seeds. We don't bring harvests. So I know, you know, that as well. So as you're, as you're taking this, uh, yes, God's led you to missions. And now, um, uh, you've mentioned training several times. Can you, can you help me understand two things? One is when you say the word training, uh, what do you mean because most people most people most ministry people think training is their preaching um and uh, I think we probably would agree that there might be an element of that but it's a really small element um so when you talk about training what exactly are you referring to
1: <laughs> well I'm actually I'm actually currently working uh, working on a PhD in in education uh, around training so I'll, I'll I'll not bore you with the uh long answer of that uh but just basically training is getting, is taking somebody from a, um, and in helping them get the tools that they need to, uh, complete the work that God has for them okay. and whatever that, however that looks. And the sign of a uh, good training, for example, for, for example, is not whether they receive the knowledge in their head. It's if they're able to actually put into practice or do whatever it is that they were trained in in doing right right and uh, i think that the one of the the biggest errors that most people make when it comes to training is they they think i've got to i've got all this knowledge i got to get into their head and mm-hmm. that you know the cognitive side of things is is important but it's not it's definitely not the most important if they don't if they don't go out and do it's kind of like james said you know it's great to have faith but if you don't have works right <laughs> what good right. is your faith the same thing when it comes to training okay you got more knowledge but if you don't do anything with it what good is it
0: right right what are some tools that you use to activate people cuz we we find that uh we will train a group of 50 people and out of those 50 maybe 20 mm-hmm. uh will say okay we're activated now we're doing something with what you've given us even though they all experience the same thing the other 30 mm-hmm. are like Great. You added something to what I already do. What are some things that you would say, here's what we've learned over the years about activating people once we've trained them?
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now there's a few, a few things there. One is, is that most people focus on a quote training event. Uh, In fact, they, they, they put 70 to 90% of their resources, energy uh, everything into the, into the event, but Uh, research shows that an event only really only produces about 20% of of the result. It's much more important uh, preparing for the event. I mean, I'm talking about from the the participant or student side, preparing for it. And the biggest thing is afterwards, Mm. after the quote event. So whatever skill or knowledge or whatever they learn in the quote event, if there's no kind of follow-up no kind of time where they're actually putting it into practice, then um then it most of the times it doesn't work. Mm. You know, it, it they they look fondly on the training event. They had a good time, they had fun, but they're not a year later they're not actually applying what they learned. Uh, I'm so that's so good. But, no, go ahead. You know, so what we what we do um you, you know depends on different things. And, you know, when I was involved in church planner training, we always did it through the local church, not, not, you know, the great expert coming in from outside. Here's the church plan training and, and, you know, you know, God bless you. Hope you can apply this. No, we always worked through the local church and the local church was the one where the, were the ones that would be uh, over uh, supervising them, making sure uh, applying what they, what they learned, etc. And, in Cuba, we created the whole a whole network of church planners and church planning churches to 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 uh, again provide resources, continuing resources, so that they would they would uh, continue on. And that's why we you know where how we met. We buy one of the things we like to do is provide uh, additional training to help them you know take that next step. And so we have several different uh, people that will come in and do additional trainings as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, for us here at, at the Center for Intercultural Training, what we're doing, we recently just launched this year what we call CIT 2.0. And same thing, we're finding that you know the the four to six weeks they spend here, I, you know, we get rave reviews. I you know so glad I was there. But when we would check with with them on the field, they 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 often were like, oh yeah, what was that again that we learned and that was important. And okay. I really wish I really wish I'd paid a better attention on the team's part or the you know whatever. And so, uh, what we just did is, uh, we launched a online, uh, courses. So that when they get to the field, they will continue what they learned here in direct application. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, again, the idea that if, if you're not applying it in the context where you are, then, uh, you won't get learned. Right. So the learning really takes place after the event.
0: Right. Right. Um, when you, when you, um, you you describe the work you do as coming alongside rather than doing it yourself. Uh, it is, a, it's a, from my perspective, a much healthier version of missions is to uh, work. We work only through indigenous people, um, typically to come alongside, try to equip and train them uh, and try to set up uh, accountability structures that allow uh, indigenous leaders to hold each other accountable so that Nobody's answering to just me or our organization. Um, what are some accountability structures that you have found successful in the process that you
1: use? Yeah, um again, one of the things that by by working with national partners, it, it's empowering to them to create the accountability any kind of accountability structure through them rather than impose something from the outside upon them right and so in some in some sense it's helping them to develop it if, if they if they can't like um, in Latin America one of the things that that was that's commonly lacking in any kind of accountability structure or it is the idea of setting goals and keep in doing right. accountability the word accountability doesn't even exist in Spanish right it's right. yeah it's a hilarious thing to watch watch somebody uh a translator, a professional translator, and have the speaker <laughs> say accountability or accountability partner, there's always this pause, because yeah. there's no word for it, there's no structure for it, and uh, one of the things that, that we, we teach here at CIT is, that, is called language culture. Language is culture, and culture is language, yeah. and the fact that they don't have a word for it means it's not a natural part of their culture, mm-hmm. and so that, that's something that we've had to introduce to national partners to say, hey, you know, you're going to, you have somebody that's going to be church planning, you know, these are the, these are what they want to do. And you know, what, how, how do you, um how do you create a mutual accountability? Right. And so like one of the things we did in Cuba that it just, I'll, I, you know, I, this is one of those things that I'll, I'll give, uh, this is a God thing because this was not something that I planned, but it's been an absolute incredible benefit of what we've done is uh our, uh, Otoniel, our key partner there mm-hmm had this idea during during this time of uh setting goals and everything he put people together in regional groups Mm -hmm. and so we had people from churches in 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 cuba in general you know 15 years ago churches did not collaborate that was just Mm -hmm. not something they did everybody was protective of their own little silo and so he would put you know all the churches from this city that were were in our training together and say okay make plans you know, and he was just doing it as an exercise. Well, next thing know, you know, these churches that never even cooperated are making mm-hmm. plans and actually implementing things that, that uh, you know, down, you know, three months down the road, an evangelistic event or, or whatever. Okay. And that never would have happened. And, you know, it wasn't our plans. That was a purely uh, God thing because we, you know, that's we didn't anticipate that result. And now, a lot of a lot of pastors in Cuba actually look back at the network, the Sembradores network that Otoniel leads, as a fundamental uh, reason why collaboration has started in their cities, yeah. as far as yeah. the gospel.
0: Oh, there's no doubt. When uh, we first went in, mm-hmm. my first time into Cuba, I went with the American Bible Society, and they had just been given permission to bring one million Bibles into Cuba. And so we did a lot of that uh, with some people. And then um, I did not continue to go down the road with them. And uh, they're doing great stuff. It wasn't a negative thing. It's just handing out Bibles isn't the lane that God's put us in. And uh, through Polly, who you know, uh, we connected with uh, with Simbradors. And when I asked a bunch of questions, tell me about what you're doing. Tell me about, uh, they kept coming back to you, coming back to uh to uh, joe and uh and the work that that you do and so we took the approach in what we do is is rather than try to establish uh us as a chief uh chief training partner we just simply said well we want to come into training that supports what you're already doing we want to come in uh and support things that are uh intercultural and cross-cultural we want to support the the just the nuts and bolts of practical things like this is how you make a disciple this is how you read and understand the bible uh you and i both know that about nine out of ten people leading a church around the world have no training mm-hmm. uh and so let's come in let's talk about a build a biblical foundation a lens through which to see scriptures uh and rather than trying to create some formal theological training for people who can barely feed their families um uh, but do something that they can uh, use practically. And so, what we've been able to do, literally, is stand on your shoulders, uh, in Cuba. And so, I'm just—I say that out loud, just how grateful I am to the work that you've done there uh, and the excellence of it. Because I'm meeting people all of the time who some their, your life has changed theirs. Uh, and sometimes they ask. Well what is the what is what is the big difference between what you do and what we do? And I tell them well we don't know, no they're not about being different they're about being extensions of each other. Mm-hmm. You know so um and so I'm just really appreciative uh of the work that you're doing. Um we're getting ready to head back there in August and and you said you were just there. I just came back from Africa so it's a big it's it's a whirlwind of travel isn't it?
1: Yep, absolutely. So, yeah absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, As you're uh, as you're thinking through the the disciple making, the equipping, the training that you do, the uh, the church planting uh, work, the uh, intercultural and cross-cultural stuff that you do. um, What's been what's been your biggest joy and what's been your biggest hurdle uh, as you have walked through some of these doors? Uh, You're further ahead than most people further ahead than most mission agencies and I know you're further ahead than we are uh in so many ways and so what's been your biggest hurdle and your biggest joy
1: yeah I'll I'll start with hurdle first uh that way we can end up, you know go to joy <laughs> there we go keep it that way um the biggest hurdle I found is <laughs> well is my own doing as mm-hmm. when I start to think I have it down I have the formula down I can do this you know we we've been part of of um at least three different church planning movements where literally hundreds and even thousands of churches have been started in a country and it's all been God. It's all been, you know, it's yeah. all been part, you know, part of a bigger thing. And, uh, but there were times in my life where I started to think, you know, I've got the formula, I know this, mm. and I've got this down. And, and, uh, that's when God has to teach me lessons through different things, either health or, or the other or otherwise um like one of the things i found is that you have to have that national partner on the ground right. if you don't it's not you know it's not even worth trying and we we tried to start something in in one country latin america and you know they were just like oh just do the training you did in cuba right. well it's not that's designed for cuba it's not designed for it but right. and they didn't have the chant you know that champion that uh I call him a John Knoxer, you know, that, that yeah. person that's saying, give me my country lest I die. Ultimate um, yell is that in Cuba. Yeah. And, uh, and without that, uh, it doesn't work. And so I, I would say, so all that saying, I'm, I'm probably my biggest obstacle when mm. I start to get too big in my own head. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but my greatest joy, I, man, I could, I could go on and on about that. But one recent that I've really, really liked is, In in Cuba, one of the things we, you know, we started this church planting network and from the beginning, they've had this idea that they weren't going to stop at the beaches that they wanted to plant, they wanted to see Cuba reach so that they could send out missionaries of their own. Mm -hmm. And they've had this vision the entire time I've been working with them, even back when it was impossible, you know, back when it was illegal for a Cuban to leave. And so a few years ago, when the door opened up, they, you know, they sent out their first few and it was really uh, a joy to me to see that at least one that I interact, interact with frequently was doing the facilitative approach to missions that I chose. You know, he was there, not, you know, not pastoring a church, not leading, but he was training, he was training church planners. He was taking that approach of working through the national church. And, and so to see, it's kind of like, you know, in Timothy where it says train others in yeah. such a way that they can, you know, they can teach others. And, and it, just to see that, that, go it just kind of you know it's almost like uh almost like that feeling of having grandchildren you know yeah a a model and uh so it's been uh really cool in the we're we're in this process of soon sending out uh 20 more cuban Mm. uh missionaries and they're all heading to areas that you know i can't i can't even name where they're going because (laughs) i can't name them or where they're going because it could cause cause problems but it is so cool to see their desire, their passion, their everything. And that, you know, that comes from uh, being involved in ministry in Cuba and catching that passion. Yes. And so now they're, they're going out to, it, it's just, I don't know, it brings a lot of joy to me.
0: <laughs> well, you know what, I've talked to some of those same people that you are talking about and uh, the, <clears throat> it feels like I always show up after you show up. And so, you know, uh I come and they go oh we just went through this great training with Joe or we were uh you know uh we we went through another session and something else on church planning something else and their excitement is always it's palpable and mm-hmm. uh you yeah. know that's good training but it's also it's you're you're feeding something that exists um you're feeding something that God put in them you're not trying to create it. Uh, and, and that is a part of, you know, the good that comes out of what you do. Um, and we are actually working. Uh, we haven't not connected on this yet, but we're working with some uh, Cuban leaders to say, why don't you guys come with me sometime when I go somewhere
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: to visit some of your people uh, that are over there in different places and, and give them a chance to see it firsthand so they can bring that back and so we're working hopefully for 2024 to facilitate a a trip along those lines right um and uh, see what comes out of it so as you as you look at um the uh um uh, the work of training church planners the work of of good training and equipping pastors leaders young people um our next time into Cuba is focused all all on people from ages eighteen to thirty five. Mm-hmm. Um, you already are impacting some of those people. Um, what is it you're seeing in the younger generation that is positive that allows you to have such an influence?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting in in Cuba, uh, that's those are the leaders of the church. Yeah. it's it's the it's the youth. They're the ones that you see leading worship. They're the ones that you see you know, in a lot of cases, preaching and, and, uh, and other things, they're the ones that are going out and planning churches mm-hmm. and, and not, not to say anything against the, the, uh, older generation. Cause some of those are too, but the, the passion, the excitement, maybe, maybe it's the energy level. Cause you know, when you, when you get to be our age, you kind of lose that <laughs> a little bit, but, um, they're, they're, they're the ones that really, I mean, they inspire. Yeah. They, they really do.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, the um it feels like some of the younger people in cuba have come out of the forge better uh whereas when i go around the world some of the younger people aren't coming out of the forge better uh but the cuban uh nationals some of those younger people they're coming out of the forge better the, the that their faith as it says in first peter is being tried through this fiery ordeal and they're coming out even more determined um because there is a uh, when your nation has difficulty and quality of life whatever nation it is it has a way of stealing your soul Mm -hmm. uh, because it doesn't just affect you it affects people you love and so um whatever you're feeding them in that water keep doing it my friend um uh joe i want to talk a little bit about your health and your Mm -hmm. journey there partly because i think um Uh, I think that you have approached uh, this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I think you've approached it because as understanding as a part of the legacy you're leaving, Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, you want people to know that God is good, uh, not because of the quality of our life, but because it's who he is. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've heard that in the way that you phrase things. Uh, And so um, can you just say a couple of words and if my questions are too personal just say hey stop we'll edit it out and that's great <laughs> but uh my question for you is um uh what is it like to be effective in service effective in ministry to feel like uh, all your best days uh are in front of you because you've earned you've learned you you know you know stuff that you didn't know when you were 22. um and then to get a diagnosis that says uh what <sighs> What was that like for you? Uh,
1: That's actually a really well phrased question. And um, I, you know, something, one of the things my wife and I do, we walk, we walk a lot and we talk, you know, some of the deeper questions together. I think that's one of the reasons why we've had a great marriage all these years and we've talked, we've actually processed that question, you know. Uh, because it seems like right now I'm in I'm in a role I absolutely love it's like God has prepared me for this you know I'm in getting to impact uh, future you know hundreds of of missionaries around the world every year and it seems like just just like you said um, you know I've got all this background all this training all this uh, experience and yet you know my time could be limited and wondering okay God what why, you know, that, that's, that's the question. That's the dangerous question. When you ask God, why, you know, Job, Job tried that and it didn't, didn't, didn't (laughs) didn't turn out well, did it? (laughs) And, uh, um, but I, I, I guess I chose not to concentrate on that question and really just say, okay, um, whatever time I have left, whatever, whatever it is, you know, I want whatever I do to, uh, you know, to be glorifying to God. Now, what that does, how it changes me is I'm constantly thinking through, okay, what am I doing that only I can do? Mm -hmm. And, um, who else could I train to do it? Mm -hmm. You know, whether it be someone else on my staff here at CIT or, um or in you know in what i've still do in, in cuba et cetera. that's why in cuba now it's you know most of what i do is completely run by nationals now i just go right. in and make you know they allow me to come come back every once in a while <laughs> and uh um but here you know this and yet there's that balance of still planning for the future still having vision i've always been the type that looks five years down the road and so i, li- I like to go towards you know a five you know something bigger out there. Yeah. And yet I don't, I can't guarantee I will ha- be there. <laughs> and so it's a, it's a, it's a weird quandary to think that through. I, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but. Um... No, I think you are. I've, I've um,
0: turned the question for me is on a more personal level. Mm-hmm. Um, the way, what I heard you say was uh, that question uh, allowed you and your bride to make a decision that what you're going to do is glorify God with what you have. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, knowing that, you know, Mm -hmm. we weren't made for what you're experiencing. That's the result of a broken world. Uh, and, and that's the result of sin in the world. And now you're saying, well, I've got to think differently. Um, and i love that you said well i'm thinking about what is it that i do that only i can do and who am i replacing myself with you know i i've been wrestling through those very thoughts for the last 2 years how do i replace myself um <clears throat> and even as i'm healthy to say how do i replace mm-hmm. myself so I, I i just so appreciate that answer um how have what have you learned about god in your
1: diagnosis yeah yeah I, I i can't say it better one one when i was there in the hospital uh in, in when i originally got di- diagnosed and you know I, th- I think i said originally they because i was in i was in uh, complete kidney failure which you know is interesting it's a interesting story in itself because god miraculously has has um uh, Give me back my kidneys, at least while well, they're at 30% function, right. which means I was on, I was on daily dialysis and, you know, one year to live. And then all of a sudden my kidneys are back working and now they don't have a, I don't know how long I've got. I'll put it that way. Um But while I was there originally in the hospital bed, my wife came in and she says, you got to listen to this song. And it was, I know by big daddy weave. Mm. And you know that that song. When, if you listen to the words, it's it, his brother had gone, had died of. I, I don't, I don't know if it was cancer or something else. And it just, it's kind of like from his perspective, and it just really, it, it talks about how, how despite all this, despite um, everything going on, you, you know, it's I know, I know that you have something better for those I'm leaving behind. I know this. And in the end, the chorus is God is good. Hmm. And so long answer to your, to the question, but what have I learned? God is good. God is good. And in, especially that first year of diet, you know, when I thought, when I thought I didn't have much time left, he was there with me and you, you know, both my wife and I, my wife actually said at one point, she said, if this is just a taste of what heaven's going to be like, it's going to be amazing.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that goodness of God that, you know, um, how has that shaped your prayer life?
1: Hmm. Oh, (laughs) that, that's actually, uh, that's a really good question as well. Um, I was just, I was just with, uh, a group. I was actually in, in South of Miami meeting with, um, a bunch of Cuban leaders and, and, uh, we had our mornings free. So we went into that. we went into the uh, a prayer meeting and uh, this was all pastors. And, and I was, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I'm just thinking through, cause I've been in the States for five years now. So I'm back to the American mentality, I guess. And the pastor in charge, says, okay, let's pray. And, you know, nobody took prayer requests. Nobody asked about, you know, could you pray for my uh, aunt's sister's bunion on her left toe? Nobody asked for the, it was just let's pray and they and we prayed for um an hour over an hour and it was all uh about god hmm. it was about god you know um it was about big picture stuff about yeah. god coming and you know yeah. reaching our reaching our city reaching our nation reaching it was about god you know praising god for who he is and and all these things, and then and then at the end, it was a little bit of a side note of, hey, you know, we've got an event next Saturday. Could we pray for that? And you know, my my daughter's not feeling well. Could we pray for? Her? You know, that was just a minor side note. All the, the whole prayer life was all about God. And I would say that, especially that first year, I really learned to listen to God in my prayer oh,
0: life. Interesting.
1: Now that being said, I'll confess, as I started to get healthier and feel well and got back to the busyness of life and I found myself back into old habits that, yeah. you know, that I, I, I didn't want to get into, but you know, that's yeah. busyness of life tends to, tends to uh, inhibit uh, that kind of prayer life. Yeah.
0: My, um, uh, when I was in college, I learned a poem, uh, it says I needed the quiet. So he drew me aside into his presence where we could confide, mm. uh, um, and there's something beautiful about it goes on to talk about our bed is not a prison, but actually a, a sanctuary. Yeah. And a few years later, I was completely paralyzed with a virus and that kept coming back to me again. This bed is not my prison. Um, it's a bath or a place of solace where God can speak to me. Um, and so I, I, I certainly appreciate uh, the way you have uh, stated uh, the goodness of God um, we tend to think of goodness as our, in our culture as the absence of badness. So when somebody says, I'm a good person, then they tell you all the things they haven't done. <laughs> right. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't, you know, and we, but what you're talking about is is something that God is doing in you. Uh, when you say his goodness, mm-hmm. it, it's something God's doing in you. Um, is there anything specific that you would say, this is what God has said to me in my journey.
1: Uh yeah, and I, I think I started to allude to it. And like I said, you know, when when uh, I was first diagnosed, I had just a tremendous peace about it. And I really felt God saying, you know, I'm with you, and went, you know that's a that's a biblical promise. Yeah. And I'm with you no matter what. And so when my doctors would come in and they would tell me, you know one said, you know, don't, don't plan on being with your family over Christmas. And they're like, aren't, shouldn't you be upset about that? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, uh, like, you know, I've got God and, yeah. and it wasn't, I didn't feel God saying I'm going to cure you. And he hasn't, you know, I'm still struggling with, with everything, but he did say, I will be there. And and that's, yeah. that's enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when you're talking about the eminence of Christ, the, the, the witness of God, um, uh, somebody else right now listening is going through a struggle. They're going through a diagnosis they didn't want. They're going through a relational difficulty they didn't plan. Uh, they're going through a financial difficulty that uh, they're looking at their life going, I did this to myself, uh, it's self-inflicted. And they need to hear and know uh, the imminence, the witness of God. What would you say to them in their journey?
1: Yeah. I, I would probably say that um Christ is sufficient. And you know, he does a, a lot of the a lot of the things that we face that you know, you know, this life isn't the end. I, you know, we all know that. But somehow for some reason we tend to put things in this life that that yeah you know, they don't take the place of God. I, you know, nobody. Nobody who follows God is going to say, you know, I, I'm going to. I'd rather have money than God, or I'd rather have this nice car than God. And you know, we talk about those as idols. But what we often do is put things in in a slot that says, I need God and this. Yeah. I need God and a uh, a relationship with someone. I need God and uh, a good job. I need God and good health. And though anything that you anything that comes after that and in a sense is an idol Mm -hmm. and we don't need that there's nothing out there christ is sufficient and um when we you know when we learn that doesn't mean we don't have those things to deal with you know we may still have our bad health but those things all of a sudden don't really matter Mm
0: -hmm. i've got
1: christ and that's all i need
0: yeah such a great word for people who uh who their view of god gets blocked by their view of the obstacle in front of them and just a great reminder that he is sufficient and he is there with us so i appreciate that a great deal joe that is such a great reminder for people who are struggling and whose view of god has been blocked uh, by life and by the things around them um i don't hear any fear in your voice or in your story uh i don't hear uh anger um, uh, and those are the two two of the first responses to the brokenness of our world was shame, fear, and anger. How are you keeping those things at bay? Um, is it something deliberate you're doing, or is it the result of this presence that you talk about of God being with you?
1: Well, I, yeah, I think I think it goes back to that. You know, your initial question: What did you say yes to? Mm-hmm. And And, you know, back, I, you know, it, it, when to give you the example, you know, Daniel, Daniel was prepared so that no matter what, you know, he, he'd said yes to God before he went through all those trials. And so that prepared him for the trials. You can't, you can't wait till the trials occur and then say, okay, God, I'm going to turn to you now. I mean, I guess you can, Jonah did kind of, (laughs) yeah, but, uh. And so it's, you know, I think, I think way back when I was a, a, a young child and I says, okay, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what, and stuck to it, that that prepared me for, you know, some of the more difficult things. And so it wasn't a hard choice. You know, when I got diagnosed with cancer, I I cried, yeah. you know, and I called my wife and she cried and, and, but it was not, it did not take long to get to the point of saying, okay, God, this is another step that you have for me, no matter what, I'm going to, you know follow you in it
0: right right um that points to something else that i wanted to ask you about because uh you are a life ta- <clears throat> a lifelong server of jesus um from the time you were a kid to being in impre- had that impression in sunday school when you are about or kids church when you were about eight uh and that has led you to a journey of faith where you said okay i'm gonna i'm gonna forsake the comforts of of Western culture to go live somewhere else. Um, now here you are uh, in this, in this journey of, of of health, of faith, of life. Uh, I am, I wanted to laugh out loud when you said I'm working on my PhD. Um, not from a, a mocking perspective, but from a happy perspective uh, that you have not stopped. Uh, you've not, You've not disagreed with the diagnosis. You've just decided not let to not let it be your boss or your lord. Right, Uh, and so I really appreciate that. So now you're 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 in this journey, um, and you said you'd like to make plans three to five five years out. Um, How are you? How how did you change uh, the way that you plan? Uh, hmm. did you change the kind of questions you asked about getting stuff done or did you change how do you, how do you get done something when you may not be around to do it? How did you change the way you lead and plan?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I still, I still, that was a, that was a process and I still like to think down the road and I still like to think, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a change agent. I've always been a change agent. That's what, how God has used me. And so, uh, but now I'm realizing that I have to work through other people. Mm. And so, you know, take, you know, at the Center for Intercultural Training, you know, we're we're in process of of making some changes that I'm, you know, and I'm a big part of that, but I'm realizing that you know, tomorrow I could go. You know, or next week when I go back to the doctor's and get my lab results, it could be. I'm, you know, sorry, this is just yeah. bad. Uh, so I, whatever I do, I have to be thinking constantly, uh, bringing others along, or you know, or pushing them, or whatever, whatever, right. whatever illustration you want to use in in the vision. Right.
0: Um. I don't know if you, how you describe yourself. I'm a highly relational person. Mm-hmm. um, I'm more relational than planning. Um, and, and, uh, I don't know about you on a relational scale, but the planning side, everything you describe, I can go, oh, he's such a great strategic thinker. Uh, he plans, um, how has this impacted uh, your relational, uh, <laughs> pack, uh, toolkit that you go, wow, this is this journey of this diagnosis. How has that impacted that for you?
1: Well, first of all, Jake, explain who I am. I'm a big picture guy. So I like to think down the road, but I'm not the greatest planner because I don't get the details of the ABCs. I just say, let's move in this direction. Okay. And I really rely on others to say, well, in order for that to happen, we need to do this, 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 and this. And so, um, yeah, I'm actually very high relationally. Like if you've ever done personality profiles, I'm a high eye on the disc. I'm high, you know, that's that's who I am. So I've always worked through others. Uh so this but I've also had this ability to know what's going to work, what's not going to work and, you know, have, have that big picture vision. Mm -hmm. And so I think with this diagnosis has just forced me to realize, I guess it's forced me to think outside of my, you know, where I'll be in five years and think through big picture, what, where should this organization be in five years or where should this ministry be in five years and work through others to do it?
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, if you were to circle that down and, and tighten the circle um, so you've been able to hold and hug two grandkids, uh, that's beautiful. And I'm so happy for you. And uh, you've got three adult kids. You've got a, a wife. Um, how has that intensified the, uh, I'm going to use the word preciousness of relationships. Mm-hmm. How has that, that come home to you?
1: Um. Yeah like I, I, one of the things that, that Ladera and I decided from day one was we're going to enjoy every moment we have left. Mm, I love that. And, you know, fortunately, you know, as, as right now, you know, it could be, I've got a weird, you know, my cancer is a weird, weird thing. It could be, it could be a year. It could be 10, you know, and we don't know. It's just, that's just how it works. Um, And so, you know, the more time I have, the more days I get to enjoy and, and being with grandkids is even, you know, that just (laughs) expands that tremendously. The one time I, I feel sadness is when I think about, you know, we always had these plans of, you know, grandkids in our backyard and building tree houses and, and all that. And I remember that was the one time where I, where I really felt sad, you know, and that where I thought I only had a year was that, that, I thought, you know, that, we kind of bought our house with that in mind, yeah. And I thought, well, I'm not going to get to see that, mm. and uh, you know, now I get to see it. So it's kind of kind of a a, a blessing. Um, but yeah, I, I guess you just hold every moment more precious.
0: Yeah. yeah. It. Um, we, I have a buddy who passed away years ago, and he said what the process of dying taught him was how he should have been living all along. <laughs> Uh, the process. And he, he passed quickly of lung cancer. He said, all the things that I'm doing now, I probably should have done 25 years ago hmm. Uh, the perspective. And so he saw this as a gift for himself that he could say, Hey, this is what I, I get to see that I never would have seen had hmm. I not come to this point. Um, What are you grateful for?
1: Ooh, lots of stuff. <laughs> um, You know, uh... Above all, you know, I, I, without I, it'll sound like the Sunday school answer, but Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, in, in his presence and uh, just choosing me to be a part of his great family and calling is is uh, something I'm grateful for. And the gifts he's given me in an in a absolute incredible family, three kids who are also following him, two are in our tour in ministry, um, and just, you know, the being able to enjoy every day yeah yeah so i i look at your face as you
0: say that and i believe you 100 <laughs> percent um i want to circle back around uh to a broader question you've used it in your own life but you've you've said the word a couple times um it's calling mm-hmm. uh we tell people all the time when i when i'm developing or discipling or bringing somebody along i tell them you know if you the first thing you do is you nail down your calling because there's going to come a point in time when that's all you have. There's going to come a point yep. in time. And so when you think of calling, how do you, first of all, just your own calling, how has that been shaped over the years from an eight-year-old to, I won't even say your age, cause I don't know, but <laughs> to today, how has that been shaped and what are some of the things God's done along the way to say, let's just make sure you understand that the calling of God is irrevocable.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, there's so many things that go into um, calling. I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day that, you know, felt God leading them to one thing and then now it didn't turn out well. So now that, there's a door open to something else. And I said, well, you know, that's the way it, it often in my life, God has opened a door that I thought he was leading me to so that I would be open to something that I wouldn't have been open to, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, originally. And, uh, that's cause some of us, you know, have uh, hard heads and need, need God to kind of <laughs> be a little, uh, rougher with the, with the making, making us know what he wants. <laughs> mm. But, um, you know, he's used experiences. He's used, uh, other people to speak into my life. I've been fortunate. I, you know, I had a, Fortunately, grew up in a great family, you know, both a three boy, you know, the three boys in my family and my two brothers, one's a, one's the president of a Bible college and a pastor. The other one's a pastor and teaches at a Bible college uh-huh. and, and me. And then everybody always thought, well, your dad must've been a pastor. I'm like, no, he was a, he was just a, uh, ran a hardware store, but truly loved God. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, just again, having those people around me to speak into my life. Uh, you know, I think God uses that he does use other people to, to reveal those things. And, but then, then there have been those occasions where he has just stepped in while, you know, either while praying or something else to say, to, to tell me, you know, tell me personally, this is what I want you to do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a sense in uh, what I hear you saying, and um, it goes to one of the questions that I try to always ask, um, whose shoulders are you standing on? Uh, I stand on someone else's. Yes. Um, you know, the, the, the facilitator, or the teachers of a, of a kid's church, uh, you stand on the shoulders of, of those people who brought in a missionary, mm-hmm. um, who, if you were to say, uh, here's a list of people whose shoulders I stand on, you can feel free to express how they, uh, have, how that their shoulders have lifted you or, uh, just make a list. It's up to you, but, uh, whose shoulders are you standing on, uh, today?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, above, above all else, the same person has been with me for over 30 years. My wife has, has been my rock. She's been, She's been uh, she's got that great balance of being compassionate and helping when I need and telling me to get off my butt when I need. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and so but she's she's the one that's holding up my arms and mm-hmm. help, helping at, all, all the time. And so I can't I can't thank God enough for uh, bringing her into my life. Um, and then um, Otoniel in Cuba, you know, I've worked with, I've worked with some absolutely incredible people around the world but he and I definitely had a connection that was, it goes beyond ministry partners. And I, he actually said the other day, it's, it's more like, it's more like, uh, some of it has been to war together, mm-hmm. you know, it's and And so when I'm down, he, you know, he, even though we live a long ways away, you know, he, he's the one that'll lift me up and, and, you know, we've kind of done that for each other. And, uh, and, um I think of my the pastor of my home church the one that you know sent us out originally he's another one that has been um he actually is, he's also going through a, a struggle with cancer and has for years it, different kind but similar story where it's incurable and yet prolonged and uh so his example has been uh something that I've been able to stand on and talk to occasionally
0: yeah. I those are such great answers joe um we make lists i i encourage people to always make a list of people whose shoulders you are standing on uh when i was about 28 years old i was serving with youth for christ um i made a list of the the top people person who led me to christ the person who uh, baptized me the person who was there when i was called to ministry and so on and by the time i was 26 they were all way old even older than I am today. And uh, I made it a point to find every one of them uh, and call them or look let's see where they, and just to say, I just need you to know I stand on your shoulders uh, and I just am really grateful. And uh, I am sure of this, that uh, where there uh, were there people uh, around the world, they stand on yours because you stand on another's. And that is the nature of the kingdom of God. Um, we don't, we, we. none of us can do it alone. And so that comes through loud and clear. I really appreciate uh, that you have shared that. Uh, let me finish off with, a, with one more question. Um, before I do, is there anything else you want to add or say to anything that we've talked about? Maybe I didn't get to a question. You go, man, I sure hope I get to say this. Uh, I want to open that up to you and then I'll wrap it up with a final question for us.
1: Uh, not that I can think of. I always, I, I was in my interviews and in my current research for my PhD with the same question. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and then let me wrap it up with this. Um, if you could look in the eye of anybody who's asking why, because uh, you're at, you may not be stuck on that question. Uh, but there's enough people that love you that are, uh, they're asking that question. Why? Uh, it makes no sense. Uh, what would you tell them about? Not, not to, not to give them an answer to the why, but -hmm. what would you just tell them about the Jesus who's Mm -hmm. with you
1: that loves you and that you love? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that that is what I would say is, you know, why is the wrong question? You know, the better question is who. Yeah. And you know, in the end, it's all about Jesus and we may never know the why, but as long as we know the who and understand the who, then we're good.
0: That's so great. That's so great. And I know you believe that. Uh, Why is not a question that when answered makes it okay why did that happen well for this well now i'm good with it we're never good with it because uh, why is is the wrong question it's a natural question but you can't get stuck on it so uh joe i so appreciate you uh i appreciate that we've got the chance to have this conversation uh zoom to zoom um uh let's just in faith make another appointment uh uh several months out to have you come back and talk about your journey some more to talk sure. about, uh, tell us more about, uh, what does it mean to work cross culturally to give us insights, uh, as a papa to, uh, you know, what are you, those kids going to be starting to say those words soon. And, and, uh, uh, I'd sure love to just in faith say, Hey, let's, let's, let's just put an annual, uh, visit together. I look forward to someday when we could stand shoulder to shoulder in the same room in Cuba, uh, with people we love dearly. And, uh, I look forward to an opportunity that if uh if we can help facilitate some other international processes, uh great. we have uh, we have connections all over the world as well. And so um, but I have great admiration for you. So thank you for joining us. Uh thanks for being on Say Yes and, and Become. And uh, can I close us in prayer and uh we'll see uh we'll see what happens after that,
1: huh? Absolutely
0: father in jesus name we come we come because you are good we become because you are god we come in obedience we come in surrender we come in uh in in just absolute dependence on you lord there's uh there's nothing we can do uh that matters at all apart from you uh and yet all things we can do through christ who strengthens us what a What an amazing dichotomy of phrases. And we're so grateful that uh, that happens when we recognize that you are the well from which we draw our strength. The secret of contentment is Jesus himself. And so father, we uh, we put Joe in your hands. We put Leder in your hands. We put his children in your hands, his grandchildren in your hands. Uh, uh, They're already there, but we place them there in our own hearts. Lord, um, because we believe you. Uh, you're not a liar. What you say you do and uh, who you are is true. And so we say thanks for that. Lord, I pray that uh, you would multiply and continue to multiply uh, every every ounce of energy that goes towards your mission through uh, uh, Joe. And uh, God, uh, thanks for his time here in this conversation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, folks, that's a wrap for us today. We look forward to uh, checking back with you soon.